My dad has always been a man of very few words. He's also been a very angry man. And when he gets angry, he's just a man of very few selective vocabulary words. A typical conversation with my dad goes a little something like this. Hey, dad, it's me. How are you doing? Hey, Nick, how are you doing? Everything good? No, this, that, and the other thing is happening. Or yes, this, that, and the other thing are happening. Okay, so you good? The kids, Dad, you wouldn't believe this. Oh my gosh, Sandler did this, or Bootsy did that. Okay, so you're good? It's always the exact same thing. However, there was one time, and I'll never, ever forget this conversation. <laughs> Again, he was a man of few words, but his being a man of few words was the most deafening moment I probably have ever had with my father was when I told him what was really going on in uh, my marriage with my kid's father. And the day I admitted that to my dad was the same day I admitted it to myself. And I think my dad hearing that some man is deliberately hurting your child, in particular your daughter, it, it was just a very different man, a few words on the other line. And I forever feel terrible that he had to hear that. But I also know that that was the one phone call that probably saved myself and my kids' lives. I'm Nikki Lynn Chase. This is my podcast. This is my journey, our stories about navigating life's unexpected as a mom to two special needs kids. For as much as my dad has always been a man of few words, it's something I've always respected about him. And I didn't grow up in a violent home. My parents hated each other. They fought all the time. They yelled and screamed. But my dad never laid a hand on my mother. And as bad as my mother was, my dad never said a word, a bad word about her. Even after they'd been divorced and he was long gone and had moved away, he still never talked bad or said a mean or terrible thing about my mom, which once I found out what I found out about her and all the different things that she had she had done, and when I finally realized what kind of person she truly was, I couldn't believe my dad had the, the wherewithal to, to hold that in and not say terrible things about her. My mom did the complete opposite. She definitely painted a terrible picture of my father and was trying to get my brother and I both on her side when you kind of win us in the divorce, but, and we listened to her. And then we found out once we got older, what the, what the truth was, what, you know, two sides in the truth, I guess, but probably a lot of it, we don't know the truth. However, they played that very differently. But even as bad as my mom was, she also was never a violent person. I think I got spanked twice. There was one time I remember in particular, <laughs> it's not funny, but I had decided to, for whatever reason, flush a bunch of stuff down the toilet. I mean, just you name it, I flushed it down the toilet. Toothbrushes. Ripped up a bunch of her, um, she was the recorder for sort of a city council type meeting. And I, this is back in the day where everything's handwritten, I decided I thought it was fun to tear it all up and put that in the toilet. I put everything in the toilet. And that was one time I remember I got spanked. And then she would retell a story about when she went to spank me and the dog bit her and didn't let her spank me. But really that was all I, that was my experience with being physically abused. And that was no experience at all. I was not, it was not, abuse was not something 
we knew in our house. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of hatred between my parents. But that wasn't a thing. It wasn't really something that was ever talked about. I don't remember my dad having to tell my brother we don't hit women. I, I don't remember it being a conversation. I don't remember learning it because I don't remember it being an issue, to be quite honest with you. Then movies started coming out, and I'd see movies about there was abuse or some woman's being knocked around or what have you, but it just was nothing I ever thought about. Well, then I meet my kid's father, (laughs) and I'm getting ready for the last couple years of school in Boulder, and I think this is my guy. Like, I think this is my guy, and I remember the first weekend we really hung out, I thought, wow, I think I'm going to marry him. And I think this is a terrible idea. (laughs) I really thought that. That was like one of the first things I thought. It's a true testament to listen to your gut. So the very first incident was early on. It was literally within probably two weekends of our hanging out together. I was a good student, mind you. So I I say weekends. I literally only partied on Thursday nights. I was I was quite the diligent college student, but I'd only party on Thursday nights. And then maybe I'd pick a weekend, uh, a day on the week or a night on the weekend. And this is very early into it, but we had gone, we'd gone out, we'd gone to a, a party and we'd gone to the hill and gotten tacos. And I don't know if I'd not gotten one or what the situation was. I do know I'd been drinking, but I remember it so vividly. I decided to take a bite of his taco and he didn't like that so he took a bite out of my cheek I mean quite literally he latched onto my cheek like a dog and it hurt it hurt so bad and the next day I woke up and I was meeting up with my my godmother Gwen and um, I was going to take her daughter who was like a little sister to me and she was going to come stay with me for the weekend while she went to volleyball camp on the campus at the school and I got up and I looked in the mirror because it it hurt I felt it and I, I looked and it was undeniable I'd been bit I mean it was a bruise with bite mark around it and I thought how the shit do I explain this and it was the first time I'd ever been in a situation where I, other than making excuses for my mom being drunk, I think that was like the closest that I'd been to, I've got to cover up for this person. I've told them, I've told my godparents that I've met this great guy and their daughter's going to be with me and I can't let on that I'm with some guy that just bit my, practically took a chunk out of my cheek. All of a sudden my wheels are spinning as to, how can I make this look like an accident? And was I in the wrong? I shouldn't have eaten a bite of his taco. I immediately, that was the first time in my whole life I think I really thought, other than different times of getting in trouble with my parents, I thought, this is on me. I shouldn't have done that. I should never have done that. Look at the consequences. You got bit on the cheek. This is your fault. You, you did this to yourself. Because I didn't want to believe he was a bad person. And that was just the beginning. I had to go meet my godmother halfway to grab her daughter. And 
I tried to make an excuse. I tried to make it like, oh, we were just really, we were having a party. It was fun. He just kind of like was being funny and bit my cheek and she didn't buy it. I could see that she didn't buy it. Then I found myself getting uncomfortable, nervous, defensive, angry almost that she didn't buy my stupid story of what happened to my face. I legit have a bruise with teeth marks around it. Shocking. She didn't buy into it. And that was the beginning of many, many excuses I would be making for my entire future with this guy. That was really the beginning of my being a a human punching bag for years to come. And I had decided that I would blame myself for every time it happened. I'd take responsibility. I would make an excuse for whatever it was that he was going to hand out because at this time I'd made the choice to be with him. And rather than exit, rather than go, oh, I don't want to do this, I immediately went into this mode of, okay, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to make him that mad. He was the fighting type. He was a person like a rabid dog. He Wherever he went, a, a fight ensued. He would take on house parties. He would fight a whole entire bar. There was always lots of blood with him. There was just so much destruction. There's destruction. Physically, he'd get destroyed. He would get in a fight with everybody we knew, some of them physical, some just verbal, and then we were never friends with those people. And I kept sticking with him, knowing better, but sticking with him. And then came time for me to graduate. And at this point, I'd isol- I'd already started the isolation process of being an abused person, right? I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I know right from wrong. I, again, did not grow up in an abusive home, but I, I'm aware in that I am aware of what he's doing, but I'm not aware that I'm essentially completely isolating myself. He's destroying my friendships. He's making sure that my roommates, the people I originally was friends with, he's pissing them off to the degree where they don't want to be around me because they don't want to be around him. And they're seeing me slowly but surely fall under this maniac's spell if you will because he's evil he is just an evil monster and I'm just making excuses and I'm letting what he does fly I remember he didn't like a roommate of mine and she would sit and watch the tv well the tv belonged to me and he I let him stay at my house he went out and cut the cord on the tv he was a big fan of destroying things and that was that was his control with women who I guess he didn't feel like he was in a position to harm or hit or hurt. He would cut people's stuff up, constantly cut my shit up, constantly throw my keys. Uh, This is before cell phones existed. Then it was cell phones. He broke every single one of my cell phones all the time. When it was flip phones, those were easy to break or he'd throw them way far away. You didn't have the tracking devices you do now. But it got to a point where Eventually, I was graduating, and now we'd been together for, gosh, about two years. And I graduate from college, moved to California, and the abuse didn't stop. But now we're in a different state. We're around different people. And at this point, I really don't have friends. People had figured out, I'm with this piece of shit. I'm not leaving him. I'm staying with him. I'm defending him. I'm really honestly making a fool of myself and I realized that 
but I still was making excuses. I still was blaming myself for any time and every time something would go terribly wrong and he'd fly off the rails and lose his mind, lose his temper. I blamed myself. And there were a couple times he got in these huge fights in California and one, it was finally the final straw. They actually threw him into to county jail or something for what was a month, I think. And that's when I was done. I was like, I think it's time to move back to Colorado. And I did. I moved back. I moved back to Vail, Colorado. And all of a sudden, he appeared. And shortly after he appeared back in Colorado, there I was again, defending him, making excuses for him, making excuses for his destruction, his behavior, back into it. And then I moved myself to New York, ended up back in Colorado, ended up back with him. The promises, I will never do it again. It literally was like everything you see and hear on TV what what Hollywood movies are made of if it's a story about an abused woman where you just sit there and you're like how dumb is she and I was that dumb person and I knew the entire time I was that dumb and I thought what's my problem literally I was not raised like this this shouldn't be me this shouldn't be my life what is wrong with me so I move away from him a couple of times and inevitably end up back together with him so instead of thinking I'm making these decisions to be back together with him, I'm thinking it's like this cosmic energy. We're meant to be together. That's my soulmate. I'm thinking I am supposed to be with him. That's why I have these strong feelings. Not that he's controlled me for all this time and he's a mass manipulator. I'm thinking it's literally the soulmate thing, the cosmic thing, the we're supposed to be together thing. And not that I've just been completely stupid and a moron that just has felt sorry for him and think I can fix, you know, I've had this idea that I can fix him and I can make this right and I can do things that won't piss him off and I'm going to be the person that changes him. It was this naive, stupid, I, I was used to the drinking thing. I was used to the getting drunk and acting like an idiot. And I was used to the emotional abuse. I got plenty of that from my parents, especially my mom. That I was used to. I could kind of ward that off with my own shield. But the physical? Never had I endured that in my past. But that was something I was going to change about him. In my head, I think that's what I told myself. It's my responsibility. No one understands him like me. It's my responsibility to fix that. And I think that was just my making excuses for myself because I was stupid enough to go back. And I never understood the movies. I never understood anybody I, who I heard was in a terrible relationship. Why would they ever end up back with them? I mean, I know why I'm going back and it's fix him or I know I'm going back because he's just this wounded poor sad bird I'm gonna fix him I'm gonna repair those wings and let that bird fly but anyway I make this conscious decision to marry him I say yes when he asks me he's not a better person he's getting progressively worse to be honest with you but my dumbass makes the decision to marry him and I do so I remember specifically my dad my dad and brother I did not invite my mother at that time 
uh, to come to my wedding. And I remember my dad bawling his face off. And it wasn't because, oh my gosh, my daughter looks so beautiful. And this is such a happy occasion. Oh my gosh, pitter-patter of the heart. My dad knew things were not okay. I was marrying an abusive piece of shit. And my dad knew that. But he wanted to be supportive. And he wanted to be there for me, which seemed like a commendable thing. But I also looked at that like, he's okay with it. Like he showed up at my wedding. He's okay with it. He gave me away at my wedding where literally nothing went right. I mean, that's a whole other podcast was the wedding itself. I mean, if there weren't a million red flags, yellow flags, every color flags (laughs) waving in the sky going, don't do it, don't do it. But I had my, my wedding. And I told myself in my head, this is going to look like I want my life to look. Next step was I have a a child with the guy. That didn't turn out quite as expected. Age two, Bootsy starts being assessed. Have no idea what she's got going on, but something's going on. Don't know her special needs. Have no idea in two years from that point when she's four I'm going to find out she's got the diagnosis that also her brother's going to have but of course if you've kept up with episodes you know how that played out however she's two years old starts getting assessed he doesn't like what he hears we've got this house in Denver we're fixing it up friend of ours comes to say hi Bootsy's had it's all around the same time she's had her first assessment it's a weird energy at that house I'll never forget this friend of mine I'm still friends with comes to the house to say hello came from the east coast he's come a long way he brought this adorable monkey and i think a wagon for bootsy you know every kid needs a red wagon and he got to watch my life like it was a fucking show and the kid's dad didn't handle any of it well i remember he punched the sandwich that this friend of ours who was visiting was eating, punched it, went all over the ceiling, picked up Bootsy's SpaghettiOs, hucked them at her through the house. Lucky it didn't hit her. And then he went and just destroyed the whole entire bathroom. It was another undeniable interaction. A lot of the other ones had I'd gotten away from having to explain because everybody was equally as drunk or thought or was part of the excitement or the mom mentality of like the bar fight or what have you. But this was another just isolated event of somebody completely sober watching my life on display and what it looked like. And I had to explain to him why I would choose this life. Now I had a two-year-old and there was the discussion or at least the un- mentioned I language and question of what are you doing what are you doing married to this POS shortly after that I filed for divorce so Bootsy was two years old of course Sandler is not born yet and I file for divorce and I get this divorce attorney And she's kind of like, go get her. And there were no assets. Yes, we had this house in Denver, but we owed more on it than it was ever going to sell for. Didn't own anything. I just wanted to be able to leave. I wanted to take Bootsy and just get out of there. And it was this attorney that 
made me really understand. And I kind of gave myself this crash course in, in law, family law in particular. And I started realizing that I get where family law is coming from. And it's to protect the child, ultimately, or children. And it's also to protect the parents. But I started seeing the flaws in family law and thinking, but it doesn't work for somebody like him. He's nuts. So I needed a safe haven. At one point while I'm going through all of this and I've gone down to um, visit with my godparents, I think I wanted to just have Bootsy and just be in a safe place and just be away from the mountain town that we were living in and both residing in. And there was definite a definite fear. I had asked for a restraining order and I wasn't granted that originally uh, because Again, I mean, this is a marriage. This is a he said, she said, two sides in the truth. And it wasn't as easy as everybody kept meant. Just get a restraining order. And it wasn't that easy. And I knew I needed one. And fortunately, he tried to beat up an entire bar while I was down at my godparents. And I was granted a restraining order, which was great. I thought it was great. I thought, well, this will save us all kinds of problems. But it didn't because he didn't have any respect for the law. So he continued to walk through that restraining order. And I'd call this attorney and I'd say, what do I do? He's just done this, that, and the other thing. She'd say, we got to think about this, Nikki, because what will happen, they'll throw him into jail and he'll be out tomorrow. And he's not going to become unangry. He's not going to get over it in that less than 24-hour period. And where do you think he's going to go? And I think, oh, my God. You're absolutely right. So it was a very, it was very much one of those things where I had to be very careful about, he'd almost have to do something bad enough to really get himself thrown in the clink for quite some time. And there's now a child involved, which made it very complex, even though there was just one. So I learned a lot. Well, it came time for mediation. And I honestly didn't even think he'd show up. He wasn't showing up to much. He wasn't responding to much. And I just kind of thought, okay, I'm going to get this divorce. We'll just go through the process. And then I, um, I'm i going to take Bootsy and we're going to head out of here. We're, I don't know. I'm not sure where we were going to go, but we were just going to be out, done, out of the mountains. And he shows up at mediation. We get into mediation and I have to disclose that I've just been down to Denver and she's had another assessment. They've diagnosed her with Reno's phenomenon, which was one of the first things that they ever diagnosed her with. I'm torn up. This is before I knew we were going to have 1,200,000 gazillion other things wrong with us. But I'm torn up about that. I feel like it needs to be shared. I feel like he's the father. He should know that... The mediator is also a female, and then my attorney, who I think is this, I mean, she's a very tough woman. She's definitely on my side, and we're just going to go after getting this thing done. And he pulls this amazing routine with the mediator and my attorney, and everybody's in tears. And I thought, no, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. This guy, don't fall for it. But the greatest thing for me was I saw two educated women, one who really did not seem to be a fan of men to begin with and was my representer, like she represented me. 
I saw them fall for his bullshit. And it made me feel so much better for all the years that I had succumbed to his crazy and was a victim of his stuff. And I watched it. And as we checked out of the courthouse that day, my attorney looked at me and said, I think you should let him see Bootsy. And I looked at her and I said, you know, if I do that, I'm going to go back. I know myself. Like, I know how this works. I've been down this road way too many times. And now I know how he's going to tug at her heartstrings. I know how that's, I know how this is going to play out. And sure enough, I let him see Bootsy. We met at the park later that day. And that was the end of it. We ended up together. And then I isolated myself more. Because now I knew I was going to have, I wanted another child. I wanted my kids to match. I wanted them to have the same dads. I still had it in my mind. I could fix this. I could make this picture perfect. I also knew very well it was never going to be picture perfect. I started realizing I wasn't telling people I was back together with him. And then decide it's time to have another child. And I consciously made that decision. Again, I'm consciously deciding to continue procreating with this monster, with this person. And he was seemingly pretty well behaved. I mean, he he knew when to turn on that switch and the charm and the, I'm never going to behave like that again. I'll never hurt you again. The same cliche bullshit that you see in the movies and the same stuff that you think people think only the dumbasses of the universe fall for. Well, I was that dumbass and I knew full well I was being a dumbass, but I fell for it anyway. And then, as mentioned in a, another episode, I end up pregnant with Sandler and I don't tell anybody. I would tell people it was because I knew something was wrong. I didn't know anything was, I didn't know he had this chromosomal imbalance until I was five months pregnant. I didn't tell anybody I was pregnant until about then when, first of all, I couldn't hide my pregnancy anymore because my, my gut had busted out. I didn't tell people because I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed of myself for choosing to have another child and for getting back together with this guy, this abusive guy. When I was eight months pregnant with Sandler, we were going on a trip. It was kind of the last hurrah. At that time, I knew Sandler was going to have this unbalanced translocation of chromosomes two and eight, the same thing, same exact thing that he shares with his sister. I'm eight months pregnant. I have zero support because I have done a damn good job of unintentionally isolating myself, my husband at the time has made it very clear to everybody no one's to be my friend unless he's controlling it and I allowed that to happen I've got a very good friend who knows everything that's going on because she was in a similar situation in that she had a very abusive husband at the time and she was the one person I was comfortable with telling her how bad things were between the two of us because I felt like she's the one person that didn't judge me kind of couldn't judge me because her situation was so similar. And we had this trip planned. I had planned a trip for us to go to the Caribbean and we were leaving on a red-eye flight and he went MIA. I mean, he was always missing. He was always, (laughs) he 
so, so many extracurricular activities. But he went missing. And I thought, oh my God, this is a huge, expensive trip. We've got to be on this flight. Of course, I'm stone cold sober. I am eight months pregnant. And I might have sent somebody to go get him. I kind of had an idea where he was. And he comes home and he's absolutely hammered and he's got to be on something. And again, I'm not privy to what all the extracurricular activities are. I'm not partaking in anything and I don't know and I don't want to know. I don't want to admit any more shit to myself than I already have. But he comes home and I'm like, you've got to get it together. We leave on a red eye. We have to leave here in an hour. Passports are ready. Everything's ready. Our flights, we have to leave here. We've got to get down to Denver and get on a flight. And he didn't like, I guess, my tone or how I bossed him around and told him we needed to get going. And I was in the walk-in closet and Bootsy was with me. And the first thing that flew was the laundry basket. And then he just started beating me in front of Bootsy with the laundry basket, which fortunately it was just a plastic laundry basket. I just remember her face though. I remember she was staring just with these big eyes, just staring. And then he started punching me as hard as he possibly could in the head, which I didn't think about it until later. All of the times he hit me, he was, with the exception of biting my cheek, he was usually very strategic about where he hit me so that it was hidden. So all the times I thought it was just these fits of rage and it was just so uncontrollable and he wasn't doing it really on purpose. No, 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 no. He was very precise about where those, where the punches were going and where they were hitting me and where contact was made because it was made where it would be difficult to see. So this particular time, he went for my head. I managed somehow, some way, I'm still, we are going on this trip. And he's so hammered. I don't even know how they allowed him on the flight, but we get on the flight, pisses his pants twice. We get to where we're going. And within a couple days, I've got two black eyes because I'd been punched in the head so hard. And the antics aren't over. He's not feeling bad. He's on vacation. So he continues to do whatever miscellaneous and extracurricular activities he's got going on. And I'll never forget going into the bathroom there and just staring in the mirror going, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're about to have a second child with this monster. You've got two black eyes because he didn't like you telling him that we needed to be at the airport for a trip to the Caribbean. What are you doing? And it was probably one of my lowest moments in my life because I thought you're bringing another kid into this world and the one that just witnessed you getting your ass kicked. Is that what you want for your kids? Like really, you're that person. You are that disgusting of a person. And it was that part in my life where I think might have been the one time I really hated myself because I knew all along what I, the choices I was making weren't right, but I just kept feeling like this is my soulmate. I'm meant to be here to fix him and change him. 
then Sandler came along. And he was sort of the whirlwind that saved me, I think, because his being as sick as he was and then being as sensitive to our environment and just, he didn't leave me a choice. And then when I had the beautiful moment of finding their father naked in the neighbor's closet, uh, that episode was Crouching Tiger Hidden Husband. When I found him naked in the neighbor's closet and Sandler was so, so sick at the time, and I had that beautiful sort of green light to guilt-free of just don't worry, get out. You'll never, like, it, it was odd that seeing that visual made it easier to get out of something than seeing the visual of two black eyes. But I I could, I felt like I could only blame myself for the black eyes. I felt like I had almost done that to myself. Whereas when I saw him naked at the neighbor's closet, that was truly solely him like his own decision. And that was a very weird reality for me to understand. But it didn't matter because that's what that's what it took, I guess. And that was like the ultimate, okay, no guilt. You have to go. He will hurt the kids over this because at this point, he knows that the marriage is over. Like, oddly enough, it took that much. But at this point, it's done. So I had... It, I had left town immediately after finding him in the neighbor's closet. I'd left town. And when I had come back, that's when everything was gone. The, the, the accounts had been drained. All of our cash was gone. My computers were broken. Anything that meant anything to me or anything that had to do with me was done. And I thought, kids are next. I'm as done as a cooked goose. I mean, I'm done, but the kids will be done too. And ironically enough, his relatives showed up right when... The, the meeting of my coming back, my kind of going, okay, we got to get out of here type of thing. And his relatives came to visit. And he was so ashamed of what he had done. And he didn't want them to know. Everything was, so, he was so worried about what everybody thought of him, which was ironic being that he, he would do what he did. But hence the, the place, he knew I would protect him because that was what I had done for so many years. I had made excuses for him and, and, and it was out of fear. Of course it was out of fear. That's what abuse is, right? Intimidation, bully, like I'm gonna, I'll do this, that, and the other thing if you don't listen to me. I, do I have to tell you twice? Well, at this point, he didn't want me to run my mouth about what I had discovered in the neighbor's closet days before. And I'll never forget, he picked me up by my neck. And it had to have been at least a foot, if not two feet. I mean, that it was sort of that Superman strength. And he just picked me up and he said, if you tell them what what's going on, I'm going to kill you and the kids. And I knew at that minute he meant... All I heard was the kids, and that's when we left and left in the middle of the night and never went back. Then I told my dad, and that was the first time I had told somebody other than the friend who had also been in the abusive situation, the one I felt wasn't going to judge me for what I was going through and knew everything I was going through. And that's when I had to tell my dad, and I had to be honest with myself because I needed to hear myself tell somebody who it, it pained somebody so much to hear. It was my way of making myself accountable to never go back. Never, ever, ever go back. It was a weird reality that it took telling my dad to hold myself accountable 
because I had blamed myself the whole time. I felt like I was completely to blame. There is that question. I would ask it to anybody I just knew was in some sort of weird toxic relationship. I guess I was in denial. But I'd ask anybody and everybody, why don't you just leave? The truth was, I was scared to death to leave. He had a serious gravitational hold on me, literally and figuratively speaking. And I was scared. And I think the hardest thing for me, once I felt like we were safe, and we had so many distractions. We had the stranger stalker in Tacoma. We had all the medical stuff going on. We've got the then the, the quick exit from Washington to California. There was so much stuff going on that that time in my life started to just phase out. However, I was still very sensitive to it. I'm still very sensitive to it. If I hear crazy argument ensuing, I immediately seize up and I'm like, oh, oh God, PTSD. If or when it's been very few and far between, I catch a glimpse of a fight. The most recent one was I was at a McDonald's drive through with the kids and a fist fight broke out. And I, that upset me for, for days. That was a crazy thing to see. And I just, when I do revisit that part of my life, because I can't believe that was me. It's a very, I'm so disconnected from it. And it's so foreign, to be honest, uh, to think of myself being that person. I think the first response a lot of people have is, what a dumbass. And I too had that response. I still have that response. What a dumbass. I knew better. I knew that was not okay. I knew none of that was okay. I knew the second it first happened to me, I was making an excuse for something that should not have happened. But it happened so quickly. And then I was so threatened by it. I was terrified of it. I was on the receiving end of it and it got worse. It wasn't going to get better. It was getting worse and I was living it. So it became crazily, if that's a word, my comfort zone. My comfort zone was to be a human punching bag, a verbal abuse garbage can for him just regurgitating mean, nasty shit out of his mouth. I was on the receiving end of that for so many years that that's where I was comfortable. And thank God, with the beauty of having my two kids and thinking you will not grow up, I will not allow you, for one, to ever be at the hands of this person but I will not allow you to see for Sandler, this is how you treat a woman. And Bootsy, you will not grow up learning that this is how you ever are treated, nor do you treat a human like this either. Second to getting my kids away from that. The one thing I wanted was to know I wasn't alone. I didn't want anyone else to experience. I, I don't mean it in that way. I wanted to hear that somebody else made it out and made it out and was able to live a life after that because I, I was so in it. I was in it for so many years and the only thing I could even imagine was if I heard somebody else's story and it resembled mine to a certain point and there was a happy ending. 
even though life continues to sort of give you shit sandwiches, I, I get that. No one's life just magically goes perfect after the fact. I just wanted to know somebody got out of something like that and was able to live a somewhat normal life or it could break the cycle, I think, more than anything. And so the reason I wanted to share this disgusting, gross story and part of my life is because I thought if I don't have a 1-800 number for anyone to call, I'm not going to put that on this episode. I didn't know one. I know there's so many out there. I know there are so many uh, support groups. I know there are so many places. I know there are so many contact numbers for somebody to call. I also know everybody's got, for the most part, Google at their fingertips, and you can probably find one that suits you best. I didn't have that. I had someone I could tell the whole entire truth to that got me through the majority of it. I knew myself. I knew I had to tell my dad to hold myself accountable to make it true for myself. I needed to be honest with myself, which I was not for so many years. I told myself the same thing. Every stupid movie about that subject goes on and it's the reoccurring theme, right? This lady, the dumb lady that always goes back or the dumb man that always goes back and the abuse continues and they never learn their lesson or seemingly they don't learn and then they end up a statistic. And for me, it was, I would have given anything if I had heard my story and known that somebody left that part of their lives so far behind them and in the rearview mirror just to give me that comfort of, okay, I can do this. I didn't have support when I left. I didn't have a dime to my name. I didn't have a single family member. You know, I, I was in contact with my father. He is not the most supportive person by any means. I had no relationship with my mother. Um, but this is my story. And I hope that it can help one person out there and be an advocate for yourself. Do what your gut tells you. And if your gut is telling you something, listen, know that I got out of it. And if I can do it with two special needs children, zero money, um, (laughs) no support, literally anyone can do it. Today's special edition is extra extra read all about it we've got the most messed up stories no doubt about it it's an ode it's a thank you to everybody who continued to support me and to be my friend I say I didn't have any support but my friends I had many come back after I left and after I was honest about what was going on and I think once they knew it was safe to be my friend again because I wasn't going to return to that and of course People come out of the woodwork and tell you all the the stories that they knew that you weren't even privy to, that you didn't know about. But I cannot believe some of the people that remained my friends throughout the whole situation. And there were only a few because that's not an easy thing to do is to stay friends with somebody who's in an abusive relationship because you sit there like, what else is it going to take? What do you need to have happened to you for it to make you leave, like go. But the the strings that are attached and the draw and the, the psychological storm that's connected to being in an abusive relationship is, it's really simple, but yet very complex thing to explain. And I, 
I can't really explain. I just hope I can be there for somebody and I want to thank those who were there for me. And I want to thank that friend who was the person I could tell everything to, who didn't judge me. And it's not only because she was in a similar situation, but she knew I needed that person. She knew I needed that sounding board. She knew I needed those ears. And I also have another, my best friend since the third grade. I was living with her in college. She just said she visited Boulder and I carry the burden of making her life hell the last couple of years we were in college because I was with him and she witnessed one of her best friends, me, choose to have a relationship with this asshole and I just know I had some really good friends and some of them took kind of a break they put space between us which I completely understood and understand maybe not so much while I was in it but once I got out of it and realized they had to protect themselves for one and them as my friends I think they it it was a way for a lot of them to keep their mouths shut like what is wrong with you Nikki and I get that And I so appreciated when people came back. I appreciated the people that stayed in it with me, even if it was from a distance. But those that know me or knew me before, I've been incredible. I will never go back there ever again. I have done a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. It takes a lot of work to sort of understand self-worth after being in that kind of relationship but then again I you know had a pretty abusive mother uh again not physically but verbally abusive mother so that was my comfort zone but I recognize now that that's not something that anybody should endure or put up with and I certainly appreciate all of my friends who stayed my friends or came back as my friends after the fact so thank you everybody and Next week, tune in for a little lighter subject. We're just going to go with life on the beach. Also, please like, follow, share, and subscribe. You can find me at adultchicken.com. Get the .com in there, as well as Apple and Spotify podcasts, Adult Chicken, and YouTube, Adult Chicken, as well as Instagram, adult underscore chicken. (laughs) 